The right supplements can dramatically improve your thyroid symptoms and help your thyroid function in an optimal way. Using the wrong type or form of supplements will leave you with zero benefits and money left in the toilet. That's not gonna be a problem for you though because you're watching this video. I'm Dr. Chaz, let's talk about the worst supplements you can take for your thyroid and what to use instead. Don't get confused here because I'm not saying that magnesium is bad for the thyroid, but I am saying that magnesium oxide is the worst form of magnesium that you could take for your thyroid. There's a big difference here. Magnesium is actually a great supplement for supporting thyroid health. It's required for the production of ATP, which your thyroid needs to bring in iodine into the thyroid gland. Without it, you wouldn't be able to produce any thyroid hormone. It helps balance and regulate your immune system, which means it's especially useful if you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And studies have shown that low magnesium levels are linked to elevated thyroid antibodies. When you couple these benefits with the fact that so many thyroid patients are deficient in magnesium, supplementing with magnesium becomes a no-brainer option. The big problem is that the most commonly used form of magnesium is also the least effective form, and that is magnesium oxide. By the way, I just did a video on the various forms of magnesium available, so I'd recommend that you check out that video if you want a lot more information. Magnesium oxide is a decent option if you're trying to treat constipation, but it's a terrible option if you're trying to improve your thyroid. Instead of using magnesium oxide, the form that you're looking for is magnesium glycinate. Magnesium glycinate is much better absorbed than magnesium oxide and is only slightly more expensive, making it a clear winner for thyroid patients. If you're using a magnesium supplement, check the supplement facts panel on the back of your supplement to see which form of magnesium is found in that supplement. If you find magnesium oxide on that list, especially in your thyroid support supplement, then you know the manufacturer of this supplement has no idea what they're doing. As a general rule to avoid problems like this, don't purchase supplements based solely on price, but instead on the forms of supplements used and their doses. Next on the list, number two, is zinc oxide. Just for clarity, I'm not saying zinc is bad for the thyroid, I'm saying zinc oxide is. Zinc by itself is actually really great for thyroid support, which is why many thyroid patients use it every day. Your thyroid needs zinc for T4 to T3 conversion, the binding of thyroid hormone to the nuclear receptor, and for the production of TRH. And because many thyroid patients are not getting enough zinc, and because it's difficult to meet your daily zinc demands from food alone, zinc supplements make a lot of sense. The only problem with using zinc oxide is that it won't actually fix this problem by increasing your zinc levels. And just like magnesium oxide, zinc oxide is the worst form of zinc to use for your thyroid. The fact that it's poorly absorbed is only part of the problem. The bigger problem is that the poor absorption of zinc oxide necessitates a higher dose. And this higher dose leads to all sorts of stomach problems, including stomach pain and nausea. These symptoms are the number one reason why thyroid patients stop taking zinc. And obviously, if you don't take the supplement, it's not gonna increase your levels and you're not gonna feel better. What's interesting is that you can get by with a much smaller dose of zinc by using only slightly more expensive forms like zinc citrate and zinc glycinate. These forms are much better absorbed than zinc oxide, which means you need a smaller dose, which in turn means you're not going to experience those negative symptoms and you can continue taking your zinc to obtain the benefits you're looking for. Number three is high dose iodine. And by high dose iodine, I'm really referring to doses higher than one milligrams or 1000 micrograms taken every day. 
For context, the recommended daily allowance of iodine is 150 to 300 micrograms of iodine taken each day. So this is roughly three times that RDA. And some people recommend taking doses of iodine as high as 50 milligrams or 50,000 micrograms. These doses should be avoided for the majority of thyroid patients because once you get above the one milligram threshold, the potential benefits do not outweigh the potential risks. Consistent use of high dose iodine has been well documented to trigger autoimmune thyroid diseases like Hashimoto's thyroiditis and Graves' disease. In other words, high-dose iodine causes thyroid problems. It doesn't solve them. Proponents of high-dose iodine will tell you that the connection between iodine consumption and the risk of autoimmune disease is not real. They'll also say that it's safe to take this much iodine because the Japanese population consumes this much iodine on a daily basis. But both of these statements are false. There is absolutely a connection between iodine consumption in high doses and the risk of autoimmune thyroid disease, and the Japanese don't consume anywhere near those doses of iodine. Recent estimates suggest that they consume between one gram to three grams, which is 1,000 micrograms to 3,000 micrograms each day. And this is significantly less than even the lowest of high-dose iodine recommendations, which typically start at 12.5 milligrams. Yes, the Japanese definitely consume more iodine on average than people in the United States, which is primarily the people listening to this, but their lifestyle and other food choices are also completely different. So you can't really compare their iodine intake and health outcomes to people that live in the United States or any other country for that matter. The bottom line, stick to iodine doses in the 150 to 300 microgram range and you won't have to worry about any of this. Number four, we have cyanocobalamin. Cyanocobalamin is an artificial and synthetic form of vitamin 12 that has two big problems. The first is that it requires activation by the body before it can be used. So let's forget about the fact that it's artificial for a second, which is a problem all by itself. It also requires extra energy in order to be activated. And there are some common genetic mutations which interfere with this process. Those people who have the MTHFR genetic mutation struggle to take cyanocobalamin and activate it into a usable form of vitamin B12. It has been estimated that anywhere between 25 and 40% of people have this genetic mutation. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that cyanocobalamin comes bound to a compound called cyanide. Yes, cyanide is toxic to humans. However, the amount of cyanide you get from the breakdown of cyanocobalamin is not enough to cause toxicity in humans. Having said that, your body still must eliminate that cyanide component, which requires extra effort and extra energy. And in addition to being potentially toxic, cyanide is also broken down into a potentially goitrogenic substance called thiocyanate when it is metabolized. Despite all of this, some people will still recommend the use of cyanocobalamin and say that there's nothing wrong with it. And while that may be potentially true for some people, I don't think that's true for thyroid patients. Why on earth would you take an artificial and synthetic form of vitamin B12 that is one, difficult for a huge portion of the population to metabolize, and two, that can potentially cause thyroid problems during its metabolism? especially when there are better and cleaner alternatives available. If you have a thyroid problem and you're trying to use B12, I would recommend using methylcobalamin, adenosylcobalamin, or hydroxycobalamin. These are all superior forms to cyanocobalamin.
And number five on the list is vitamin D2. Notice I said D2 here, not D3. Improving your vitamin D status is incredibly beneficial for your general thyroid health. But what you need to understand is that not all forms of vitamin D supplements do this equally well. Vitamin D2 is known as ergocalciferol and is found primarily in plants. Vitamin D3 is called cholecalciferol and that form is found primarily in animals. Vitamin D2 is cheaper to manufacture, so this is the form that's most commonly used to fortify foods like milk. Vitamin D3 is the preferred form to take here because it has been shown to be more effective at increasing the vitamin D status in the serum when compared to vitamin D2. There are also more studies highlighting the efficacy of vitamin D3 over D2. Outside of fortified foods and injections from doctors, I typically don't see this form of vitamin D2 being used all that often but I would still recommend double checking the back of your supplements to make sure you're not using it. The ideal choice for vitamin D is vitamin D3 as cholecalciferol, and the dose is anywhere between 1,000 to 10,000 IUs taken daily, depending on how much sunlight you get. If you want to support your thyroid with supplements, stop using these low quality formulations. And if you want a better idea as to what type of supplements can actually help, I'd recommend checking out this video next.